Hi, I'm Roger Blackmore. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis Church on Long Island in New York. Thanks for downloading our podcast. I hope it's a blessing to you. If you want to learn a bit more about our church, then check out our website, genesisli.com. And of course, if you live within traveling distance of us, we'd love to see you in person on Sunday morning, worshiping with us. So here's today's message. Enjoy. So we're in a series called Brand New, and what we're doing in our Brand New series is we are looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been starting with the, uh, the introduction to his life. I'm going to move forward a bit from there today. Um, if I was to ask you, can you think of one particular person or a couple of people that you're sitting here today thinking, if, if I was to go back to th- think about it, I'm probably where I am in my faith journey and my relationship with God today because of that, because of them. That person was a key factor. And I think a lot of us could probably think of someone like that. For me, it's dead simple. Those of you who know me, you've heard the story a thousand times. I sometimes think if it wasn't for the kid I was, I was out playing with when I was 11 years old who turned to me and said, do you want to come to our church youth group, then I may not be here today. I mean, just that simple thing was a, was a pivotal point because it was through him I got into the church. It was in that church that I came to know Christ as my Savior, that I was tremendously encouraged And uh, it was there in that church that I felt that God wanted me to be a pastor just when I was a teenager. But it all came from that very brief moment when Dave turned around at me and said, do you want to come? I don't think he had necessarily been fasting and praying and saying to God, I really want to take Roger to church. I think it was just a friend being polite, but God used it. And what I want us to do this morning is is I want us to look at Paul's journey and realize this. Here's here's what I called today. No, I didn't call it that at all. I called today, Who's Waiting for You? Thanks, John. I'm glad you're on the ball up there because I clearly don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, Who's waiting for you? Whose life could be impacted by you just responding to the voice of God, to the prompting of God, to the nudge from God to invite them to church, to talk to them simply non-judgmentally about your faith. Who's waiting for you? And and, and my answer to that question is this, and, and this is the point I want you to take with you today. People are waiting on the other side of your obedience. There are people waiting, and all it takes is you to be obedient. People are waiting on the other side of your obedience. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we saw the story of Paul. He was known as Saul initially. And what we saw was Paul started, we're introduced to him as a person who hated Christians, and uh, he had Christians in prison, he had Christians put to death, and he had an incredibly incredibly bad past. And we looked at that our first week, and we just acknowledged the fact that everybody's got a past. 
And just like Paul's past did not disqualify him from God using him, our past does not disqualify us from God using us either, because everybody's got a past. And then last week, we looked at how God uh, intervened in, in his life and how when Paul was on his way to Damascus to find Christians there to, ha- to take them back as prisoners to Jerusalem, to have them jailed and to have them executed, that as he was getting near the city of Damascus, suddenly God intervened and God met him. Acts chapter 9, verse 7. This is kind of where we were focused last week. His companions stood there dumbstruck. They could hear the sound, but they couldn't see anyone. While Saul, Paul, picking himself up off the ground, found himself stone blind. They had to take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus. He continued blind for three days. He ate nothing, drank nothing. That's where we left it. He had met with God there. And so now the people who were with him take him into Damascus. He is blind, and for three days he's in Damascus, and he is so traumatized by the experience he's just had that he doesn't eat, and he doesn't even drink for three days. Now, there were a lot of believers in the city of Damascus who had actually fled from Jerusalem because of the persecution there. And it was all headed up by Paul, Saul of Tarsus. In Jerusalem, their worship services had been invaded. Armed people had come in, and they had forced people uh, and taken them to jail, and then a lot of them were taken to the courthouse, and they were killed. In fact, they were usually given a choice. The choice was either deny your faith or die. And most of them chose to die. That was what Saul had headed up. And now he was in the city of Damascus that they had fled to. Acts 9 verse 10. Here's where we go today. There was a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. The master spoke to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, master, he answered. Get up and go over to Straight Avenue Ask at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus whose name is Saul. He's there praying. He's just had a dream in which he saw a man named Ananias enter the house and lay hands on him so he could see again. Now, the importance of that conversation is simply this. Paul is in this house on Straight Avenue, and he is blind, and he is traumatized, and actually the story of Paul ends there, unless somebody goes to him and helps him and shows him the way forward. The significance of what we're looking at today is absolutely huge, because if it were not for Ananias, then Paul would not have been set on a proper track. If it wasn't for Ananias, then actually the whole ministry of Saul, which fills a lot of the book of Acts, would never have happened. 
If it wasn't for Ananias, a whole lot of books in the New Testament which were written by Paul would not be there. If it wasn't for Ananias, all the churches that were established right around that Mediterranean area would never have happened. If it wasn't for Ananias, maybe none of us would be sitting here today because the story would have ended with Paul there absolutely, totally messed up for the rest of his life. Ananias actually is one of the most important figures in the whole of the New Testament, but who'd have thought it? And that brings me to this point, which we've got to realize. God has no rock stars. God has no rock stars. In verse 10, it says this. It says, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. That's it. There was a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. It's like, here's Saul of Tarsus, who's just had some encounter with God that has totally messed him up, and and God wants to send somebody to him. It's like, let's send a message to Peter, the head of the church in Jerusalem, because Peter is the kind of guy you need to deal with something like this. But God didn't look at it that way. That's all we know about him. There was a man in Damascus, his name was Ananias. That's all we know about the guy. But God chose him and used him to actually be a pivotal character in the history of the Christian church. God has no rock stars. I was talking to a lady the other day, and she was telling me that her husband was sick, and she said to me, I'm sharing this with you because I've been praying, but I know you've got a better connection with God. Oh, okay, you get it already. Okay, that's good, right? Okay, you got that? You got that? There is nobody who's got a better connection with God than the next person. We've all got, our, we've all got the same connection with God. The Bible says this. It says there's one God and there's one mediator between God and people, and that's Jesus. So we all have the same access to Jesus. We can all talk to Jesus. We all go to the Father through the Son. And the reality is there's nobody who's more special than anybody is. You look around this whole place today, and I know that you're really, really special, but you're no more really, really special than the people sat all around you or the guy standing up in front of you because we're all on level ground where God's concerned. God has no rock stars. Back in, the, back in the Old Testament, at a time when God's people, Israel, were going through a, a very difficult time and being oppressed by another nation, God, God wanted uh, a man by the name of Gideon to become a, a leader and to free his people. And in Judges chapter 6, uh, it talks about how the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, I want you to go and lead Israel and to rescue them from their enemies. And Gideon said to him, me, my master, how and with what could I ever save Israel? It's like, I think you got a wrong guy here. Look at me, he said. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the runt of the litter. So he says, I'm the bottom of the bottom of the pile. But God says to him, you're the man that I want. He didn't choose Gideon because he was the most likely or the most suitable. He chose him because he was the one that he wanted, and Gideon actually did what God wanted him to do. You see, God uses people 
who don't feel they can do it. Because when God uses people who don't feel they can do it, you know what happens in the end? Those people turn around and say, wow, that must have been God. God was going to prepare the next king of Israel. And the tricky thing about that was there was a king at the time. But he sent the prophet Samuel to go, and he told him where to go and said, I want you to anoint the person who is going to be the next king of Israel. So he guides him to the house of a man by the name of Jesse, and he says to Jesse, bring your sons in here because I'm going to anoint one of your sons to become the king. And so Jesse, as one would expect, brings his oldest son in. And uh, in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, it says this, but God told Samuel, Looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with his looks and his stature. He was a huge guy. I've already eliminated him. God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face. God looks into the heart. And many of you will know the end of that story was eventually they got the youngest son called David who was out in the fields and he became the one who was anointed to become the king. You know why? Because he was the most unlikely. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, it says this. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The treasure of God's love, the treasure of the good news about Jesus, the Bible says this, that treasure that we have got is inside pretty ordinary people. That's what it's saying here. It's just like a clay jar. It's not very exciting. So it's saying, you know what? This good news is in us so that in the end of the day, people recognize that anything that comes from us is because of God and not because of us. God has no rock stars. Now, I know if you kind of, you know, wander around the internet or if you flick on TV here, there, everywhere, I know there might be preachers who kind of look as if they're real rock stars. I, I mean, somebody mentioned to me this morning, and, and he might have a good point. He said, I told you years ago, if, you, if you're traveling around preaching, you need a private jet. And I, I think he's got a good point. Lord help us. God has no rock stars. I travel cattle class. It's good. No, it's not. It stinks, but it is what it is. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? God's love is, is, is in us as just ordinary people so that in the end of the day, anything that good comes from us, it's God that gets the credit for. It's God that gets the glory for. I, I mean, look around. Uh, uh, most of you don't know, kind of, we started 20 years ago as a pretty rinky-dink setup, really. For those of you who were there then, I'm not putting us down. What we had then was blessed and it was good. But you know what I mean. It was a very, you know, it was simple. It was, it was very basic. And, it was, and then here we are today. You know, last Sunday morning, we had 468 people in church. Isn't that fantastic? I think that's fantastic. Because every one of those people matter to us and they matter to God. And when I see what God has done over the years, I am absolutely, totally amazed. Because the truth is, I'm in over my head. 
I'm flying by the seat of my pants. But in the end of the day, this is what God has done, and this is what God is doing. Amen? Amen. It's treasure in ordinary people. I don't know why, but the other day, Charlotte went on to Google, and if you, if you search on Google for Genesis Church, there are people who've written reviews about our church. Now, there are only two reasons why I write a review. Heck, I did this quick journey yesterday, and I've already got four emails from people wanting me to assess. So the, the airline want my feedback on the flight. The hotel I stayed in just one night want my feedback on my stay. The car rental company want my feedback on that. And the place I parked the car at Kennedy want my feedback on that. It's like, at my age, I might not live long enough to fill all those out. I can't do that, you know? So there are only two reasons I ever fill out that kind of survey, is if something was really good or if something was really bad, right? That's, I can't be bothered with the rest of it. If I've got something to say, I say it. And I think when it comes to something like a Google search, that might be the way. And, and the one that I really loved was she discovered that there was a guy who wrote this simple review. He says, they worship aliens. Really? I think I missed that Sunday. They worship me. You know, you know what really ticked me off, though? He gave us one star out of five, and he gave King Cullen five, the same guy. It's like, we ranked the other end of the spectrum from King Cullen. There was somebody else who wrote a review, and he said, the pastor is very humble. And if I am, there's a reason for that. I've got a lot to be humble about because I'm a very ordinary guy. God's got no rock stars. God's just got people that let him use them. Ordinary people. God's not waiting for us to be good enough. God's not waiting for us to know enough. God's just waiting for us to be willing to do what He wants us to do. Who's waiting for you to reach out? Because here's the thing, when ordinary people attempt hard things, extraordinary things happen because God takes over. I mean hard things, like hard things like talking to someone about Jesus, that can be hard, right? No, seriously, right? It can be hard to talk to people about Jesus. Even if like there's some kind of prompting or even if they open the door a little bit, it's like, it's like real, it can be really intimidating to, to start to have a conversation about Jesus, particularly in today's politically correct world. It can be really intimidating. Or, or, or even if you, you know, someone said something about church and, and like, shall I, shall I, shall I? It, it can be really intimidating. Shall I say something about church? Shall I invite them to come to my church? It can be really intimidating. But, but here's the thing. God uses ordinary people when we let Him use us and when we do what He tells us to do. You don't have to know all the answers. Um, I'm the pastor here, and I don't know all the answers either. 
So please feel free to admit you don't know all the answers. You don't need to know all the answers. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So you know what you really got to do? You just got to care. You got to care. Let people know that they matter to you and they matter to God. So Ananias was an ordinary guy, a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. Then it says the master spoke to him in a vision there in verse 10. So the master spoke to him. So he was prompted by the Lord. Now for Ananias, it says, you know, the master spoke to him in a vision. And I guess because of what God was telling him to do, it needed to be pretty dramatic. God doesn't speak to me in visions. I've never had one. And maybe God doesn't talk to you in visions either. My experience is more like it says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, where it says this, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. But having said that, I've never actually heard a voice. But what I have heard is kind of just an inner voice or an inner nudging or just an inclination to do something, and I've acted on that, and I've found, hey, that was a God thing. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you feel some prompting, some inclination to talk to somebody about faith, to invite somebody to church, here's what I want to really encourage you to do is to do it because people are waiting on the other side of your obedience. It might be a little bit nerve-wracking, and you might not be a little bit anxious about it, but I want to encourage you to recognize this. As really as the life of Saul of Tarsus was absolutely turned around when a nondescript disciple of Jesus actually reached out to him, we have no idea who is out there and how what God might do with them and through them if we will just be obedient when God speaks into our hearts. People are waiting on the other side of your obedience. And remember, God has no rock stars. But, but we've got to realize this. God will always stretch us. God will always stretch us. So God spoke to him. God said, Ananias. And Ananias said, yes, master. Now, that's a good start to a conversation with God, okay? I thoroughly recommend it. Ananias, yes, master. Verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Straight Street was the main street that ran east to west in the city of Damascus. Ananias would have known where it was. God tells him whose house he's in. He'd have only had to ask a couple of questions as to where the guy's house was, and, and he would have found it easily enough. That wasn't the issue. The issue was this, that the persecutor, the murderer of untold Christians was actually in that house. God said he's there, and he's blind, Good. Good. 
That might have been Ananias' kind of initial thought. That's a good thing. Why are we going to mess this up? He's there and he's grounded. Let's leave it the way it is. Anyway, if he was to go and see him, who knew whether he really was a changed man? Maybe, maybe he would go and pray with him and get his sight back and he'd say, okay, guards, take this guy next. So Ananias protested, verse 13. Ananias protested, master, you can't be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing. His reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers from the chief priests that give him license to do the same to us. And God said, what? What? Why did nobody tell me that? Gabriel, Michael, you're the archangels. You do the background checks. I thought this guy was good. Really? What's going on around this place? I can't get good help anymore. Oh, God knew. God knew what he was doing. God knew who he wanted. Paul was waiting on the other side of Ananias' obedience. But Ananias wanted to have this little argument with God. And, and they're going kind of going back and forth, just the same way that some of us will have known. You know, going back and forth in our own mind. Shall I, shan't I? Do I say something? No, I don't do something. Yeah, I really need to. This might be a God thing. Can't be a God thing. God wouldn't even like them. I don't, right? <laughs> Ananias was afraid. And it's so easy to let our fear of what might happen make nothing happen. So when I started pastoring, I was in this tiny church. You'll, you'll, a lot of you know the story. So I'm in a tiny church in the northeast of England. It's a coal mining community. Um, the church years ago had been much stronger. When I was there, I think our record attendance was 35 or 36. Uh, our average was probably more around 30 people. So I go there, and I'm here as this 20-year-old, uh, enthusiastic young pastor. Okay, let's turn this thing around. So begin to address some of the um, basic things I saw there, like the building itself needed attention. So we got the whole of the inside redecorated. We reorganized the seating so that 30 people didn't look so lost among 300 seats. And so we rearranged all of that. We even, we even totally refitted the tiny bathrooms. But for some reason, the local population did not break down our doors to come in and see our new decor or to sit on our new toilets. And months went by and nothing was really changing. I talked to a pastor in a Big church in the city near to us, a really good guy. And I talked to him, uh, and I was chatting, and, and I said to him, what's been the secret for you of your church developing? He said, we have whole teams who go out, and they knock on people's doors and invite them to church. I hated doing that. I'd done some of it before. And I said, really? He said, oh, yeah. He said, that has been the secret of our church's growth. And so I had a long conversation with him, and then a few days later, I go out. And I walk up to a house, and I ring the doorbell. And I said, uh, 
Hi, I'm the new pastor at the church. I'm just going around and just saying hello to some people in the community. And the woman said, look, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm really busy just now. I've got so much going on. I'm sorry. I go to another door and I introduce myself. The person says, we're Catholic. I go to the next door and I pray, God, let nobody be home. I mean, how much rejection can you deal with in your life? <laughs> and I, 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 no, I gave up doing that. And I thought, well, that's kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a failure in life now because this church will never grow because I can't do that. And what I never realized was this. The best way to share our faith is to let it be a natural interaction with the people that just around us and that we encounter in life. That's the best way. The best way is just to be open and sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit guiding us to God's nudge. And I don't mean anything huge and dramatic here spiritually. I'm just, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm just thinking like, you know, you have a conversation with somebody later today and, and they say, hey, what are we going to do for Easter? And what about we do this, we do this, we do this. And you say, hey, we got some great services at our church. Why, why, why don't we start off Easter in church all together? Something like that. Something as simple as that, as straightforward as that. What we've got to recognize, it says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19 says this. It says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That's why Jesus came and died and rose again. Not counting people's sins against them. He took our sins. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. God's message that God in Christ wanted to bring people back into relationship with him, that message is the message that has been entrusted to us. It's the message that God has given to us. And the fact is this, that if we will just be open to God leading us, however much it stretches us, we will reach the people that are waiting on the other side of our obedience. Because God sees the big picture. God sees the big picture. Verse 15 of Acts 9, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. That was kind of the last word. Ananias, shut up. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. God had a huge plan for the life of Paul. And the fact is, Ananias needed to go and encourage him. Who knows? Who knows? If God has used me to be a blessing to some people, then who knew the guy who first invited me to church? God knew. God knew what would happen with my life. God knew I would end up in ministry. God knew I'd be standing here this Sunday morning. To our church, who's waiting for you? Who's waiting for you? People are waiting on the other side of our obedience. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, 
who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Brother Saul, he included him, warmly acknowledged him. And here's what happened. A few days after, the believers in Damascus heard that Paul was on his way there. A few days after, they started to feel terror in their hearts about what might happen. Ananias is baptizing him. How about that? I baptize you, Paul, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, and at once Paul began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. Who'd have thunk it? Wow. He was going there to capture Christians. And here he is talking about Christ. All those who heard him were astonished. They said, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Wow. And it all hinged on an ordinary person being willing to show some love to Brother Paul. People are waiting on the other side of your obedience. It's amazing what impact we can have and how that can spread. I've, I've been talking to a group of folks. Neil and Christy, why don't you come up here and join me for a moment? So if you were... Um, as you came in today, you probably, where'd he go? Oh, there you go. Now, once you get up here, you realize there's a black abyss out in front of us up here because of the stage lights. So you might have seen these folks as you were coming in today, right? Right? Were you at the front door, the main door? So you were greeting folks at the main door as they came in, right? So if my reckoning is right, it's 15 months you've been part of our church, yeah? Absolutely. So you came on what day? Christmas Eve last year. Christmas Eve. <laughs> Christmas Eve two years ago. She's right. <laughs> She's right. The Christmas Eve before last. Right. Okay. So that's about 15 months, right? So it's about 15 months since you became part of our congregation, right? So where, what church have you been connected with before then? Where were you in church before then? Absolutely none, to be honest with you. Yeah. I uh, dis disconnected from church for many years since I was a little kid with my grandmother, grew up Episcopalian, and I just, I, I lost a taste for organized churches. Okay. So I just distanced myself and... So you guys weren't involved in church at all, right? So you came here. So how'd you show up here one Sunday? What happened? Who, how do you come to find out about us then? Well, Christine McNeil was the, really the driving force. She's been asking Christy a few times, and we just ran out of ways to say no. That's good. <laughs> Wear them down, folks. Wear them down.
Christine, why don't you come up? So here's the lady who was, okay. So Christine, you were, you were, so you're the one who talked to these more than once then, did yes, you? Yes. <laughs> I don't think I was obnoxious. No. <laughs> That's not my style. But uh, no, a couple of times I peppered it in to conversations and, um, but what really was the driving force is they had lost a friend whom I did not know. But through Facebook, I could see, Danielle, Danielle, she died of cancer, and I could see the hurt. And I said, this is, I felt the nudging in my heart. And um, I just said, let me just ask them one more time to come. And I think that was the catalyst Great. that they needed. You peppered it in. There's a good <laughs> theological term. You pepper it in. Okay, so then you folks came, right? And then apparently you got friends. Is this true? A few. A few, yeah. All right, so, so you started doing the same kind of thing, right? Did you talk to... You talked to who? Who's, who did you bring? Uh, we brought Christine Snyder. Christine Snyder. Where's Christine Snyder? Walking up You're now. right here, because she's been working with our kids. She does a fantastic job with our kids on a Sunday morning. Okay, so they invited you, right? Yes. Okay. Run us through. So that she wasn't the last, right? Um, ne next we have uh, Tracy and Rich. Tracy and Rich. Okay, so you talked to Tracy and Rich, and Tracy and Rich came. And uh, come on up, guys. And as they're coming, uh, Tracy mentioned to me that this weekend is actually one year exactly since you first came to Genesis, right? <laughs> Fantastic. So Tracy and Rich, then they came. They're a part of us, but the story goes on, right? Uh, Christine Krug next, right? Yep. Another, Chris another Christine. Another Christine. That keeps it very simple. That's good. Okay, so then Christine, you talk to, right? And she, Christine, you were, you were telling me you were talking to them about your church, right? Yes. Although you've got two churches now. I've got two churches. That's good. That's good, right? So, but then they said, why don't you come to us? So you come to us for first service and then go over to my buddy Bert at True North for second service, right? Well, I volunteer in the Oh, you do? Fantastic. Right. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you get fed yourself here and go serve there. That's, that's fabulous. Where, where are we at next? I'm losing track. Tara and Mason. Tara and Mason. Tara and Mason. Okay, so... Right. So, Kristen, Tara's engaged to your brother, right? And we're going to be doing the wedding October? October 19. I'll try to remember the date. Okay. So we're going to be doing the wedding. So, we've got, so you guys became part of us. Then who else did you talk to? Uh, Kathy and Brianna. Kathy and Brianna. So Kathy and Brianna. Okay. We ran out of stage. Are we done? Okay, say that again. The most, the most proud of all the people we've brought in so far is my father. Hey, Pops, come on up, man. <laughs> See? And he's wearing the uniform I want you to notice, okay? 
He's got the Genesis Church hoodie on. Will you take a look at this? Will you take a look at that? So you know how that started? Started with one person peppering in, <laughs> peppering in an invitation to come to Genesis, and all your lives have been affected by that, right? For the good, yeah? Yes. Okay, good. Right answer. Just no coaching there, folks. All right. Here's what I want to just, here's what I want to encourage you. Take a look here. You have no idea. It started with Christine reaching out to friends at a time of need in their life. And here's how the story continues because it isn't over yet. I bet you had no idea when you started talking to her. Right? Right? You see what God done. Thanks for coming up, guys. Thanks for giving us the visual. Wow. And the question is, who's waiting for you? Paul was waiting for Ananias because God was going to do some things. So here's what I want to encourage you to do going out of here today. Recognize that people are waiting on the other side of your obedience. And be open this week to God moments and to God opportunities to say something about your faith, to invite people to Genesis. What if we were just to pray together this morning and ask God for an opportunity this week? Is that okay? And then what we're doing there is we're cutting away the first layer of excuses. Because if the opportunity comes up, you don't have to pause and say, I wonder if I should. If the op when the opportunity comes up, you say, this is what I prayed for. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me?